Now, I, I, I'm sure there's something you've done that I've done before. I'm sure you've signed something before without reading all of the fine print, you know? You haven't read everything. You just, you just sign it, right? I've done that before. And what's in the fine print? A lot of times what's in the fine print is, is kind of the stuff they don't really want you to have to worry about, you know? Some of the details, you know? Usually they'll sell you on the really good stuff, the stuff that you're really excited about, all the benefits, but then comes the fine print, right? It's like the drug commercials. You ever seen the drug commercials that have pictures like this? You know, they, they always put middle-aged people smiling on them, right? They're all the same, right? And they say, listen, there's so many good things. Look, your life is gonna be great, right? This drug is awesome. It's amazing. Your limbs might fall off, but everything is gonna be amazing, you know? They sell you on the good stuff. They hide all the bad stuff. The same thing can happen when you ever get that coupon, you know, you're so excited. I'm gonna get my free thing. You're taking it like it's only good on Thursdays. You're like, it's Friday. This doesn't help me, right? But it's not just those types of things. We do the same thing. There's always some fine print that we kind of like to hide from people. We'll do this with parents. We'll do this with a spouse or with our kids. We'll sell them on something that's really exciting. We'll talk about how great it is, all the benefits of it, and we'll hide like how much it's gonna cost or what it's really gonna require in some way. It's the things we hide away, but it isn't just there. Sometimes preachers do the same thing. Sometimes preachers will tell you the things that you want to hear. They'll hide the more challenging stuff. They'll spout out all the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus, but talk or just kind of hide the things that are the requirements of following Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, right? It's a, it's a fun day in the, in the year as we, as we celebrate the beginning of this Passion Week leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and Palm Sunday, really, the, when you look at scripture, it's like a party that's going on, right? It looks like a party, but today as we look at this story, I think God's gonna reveal some of the fine print of what it means to follow Jesus. And I think for every single one of us, no matter where we're at, whether we call ourselves a follower of Jesus or we're just checking things out, I think we're gonna have a clear understanding of what does it really mean? And I think God's gonna challenge our hearts. So glad that you're here with us. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning in verse number 12. As you're turning there, just a reminder uh, that we are in our reading plan. Today is John chapter 14. We're going through the book of John. Uh, we'll be wrapping up next Sunday, just a chapter a day. If you've, if you've kind of fallen off a little bit, jump in today, John chapter 14. Just know this, following this, we're gonna launch another reading plan together because I think this has been really good for us together. Uh, I know I can't make it, but I'm gonna invite you. Would you stand with me if you would, wherever you're at, as we're gonna read our primary text here this morning. John 12, 12 says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Father, we thank you that your word is true and your word is relevant to us today. And so God, we open our ears, we open our hearts to you. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that in your name, amen, amen. Well, if you uh, look at this story, I mean, it's kind of a confusing story. You're just like, what? What's going on here? People are 
throwing palm branches. You know, you, you see pictures of it. Here's a picture, you know, you get this picture of Jesus sitting on a donkey and people are like, this is kind of a, a weird situation. Uh, but what you need to realize is this moment is time, in time is thousands of years in the making, right? You gotta go all the way back to the very beginning of scripture for you to really understand what's happening. At the beginning of Genesis chapter one, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? God created everything. He, he created it perfectly. He created mankind and all of creation and he had a plan, he had a purpose behind everything. And his desire was that he would have relationship with this mankind and that mankind would partner with God in stewarding this creation, right? That was the plan. But we all know by Genesis chapter three, things get messed up, get broken. Why? Because sin enters the world. And the result is the relationship between man and God is severed and there is a breaking that takes place. But, but more than that, this mark of sin, it leaves a mark on creation and disrupts God's intention, for what was going on in the world. And all of scripture is God's desire and his attempt to redeem all that has been broken, to restore what was destroyed through sin. Now, God works through the means that are available. He, he goes in Genesis chapter 12, we know this, he approaches a man named Abraham. He says, listen, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you and through you, I'm gonna bless all of mankind. And God begins a work through this, which eventually becomes known as the Israelites, this Israel, the nation of Israel. And God's desire is that he would once again bring things as they were, that God's kingdom would be the same on earth as it is in heaven. And this over and over though, the Israelites turn away from God. They turn away from God, but it doesn't matter because God is focused on his intention of restoring things. Throughout all this time, as Israel's going up and down and up and down, there's all this prophecy that takes place, these prophecies that God would once again redeem his people, these prophecies that God would once again lead his people in victory and that he would bring forth a Messiah, this person who would come and save and rescue his people and restore the world. This was the hope that the Jews were holding on to, that one day this Messiah would come this is what they were looking for. And then what happens? This guy Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus begins doing Messiah-like things, right? He comes and he starts healing people. He's speaking this deep wisdom that, that nobody else could understand. This. And there was moments where he was raising people from the dead. And you could sense the excitement that took place in these people. They're, they're beginning to realize, I think that thing is happening. That Messiah that we've been waiting for is coming, right? It's happening, right? And their view of what would happen when the Messiah would come, that he would come and he would take over and the enemies would be destroyed, right? That they would be rescued, just like they were rescued from Egypt and they were rescued from Babylon. Right now, the Romans were in control and the Jews at this time were thinking, oh, we need the Messiah to come and rescue us. And once again, Israel will be back on top. And then this day comes, right? This day comes and they are so excited because this Jesus, we think he might be the one. And then guess what? He comes in and he's coming in from the Eastern side. He's going into Jerusalem from the East. Guess what? The prophecy said that's what the Messiah would do. And they're getting excited. And then it said he'd be on a donkey. He's on a donkey. How awesome is this, right? They're getting so jacked up. The, the picture I just showed you is nothing. I mean, I'm thinking these people are jumping. They're excited. They're crazy. They're like, it's happening, right? 
They think he's coming to be our king. He's the one that's gonna solve all the problems. This is what we've been waiting for. And then it goes more than that because look at the text. In in quotes, you'll see several things. He says, Hosanna. What does this word Hosanna actually mean? The word Hosanna literally means save now. Save now. And they're saying, he's the one. Come, save us, Jesus. Rescue us. You're that king, that Messiah. Come, save us. You see the other things. He said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. These are direct quotes straight out of Psalm 118, which is a whole prophetic uh, psalm that talks about this Messiah that is coming. And they're declaring, we believe you, Jesus. We believe you're that king. We believe you're that Messiah. They were looking for a king. And they thought Jesus was the one. But what a difference a week makes, right? Because we know the story. And instead of fulfilling their dream for what a king is, in less than a week, the crowd wants him dead. The same people that were so excited, they're jacked up. They're, they're thinking he's the one. They're yelling, Hosanna. At the end of the week, they're yelling, crucify him. And by Friday afternoon, Jesus' bloodied and bruised body was hanging lifeless on a cross. What happened? Like, what went wrong? You see, the crowd, they wanted Jesus as their king, but only on their terms. They wanted the victorious king. They wanted the king that's riding on the donkey into Jerusalem. They wanted the king that would vanquish the Roman Empire and usher in a new season of peace and power and prosperity. They wanted a king who would take them to the top. And when he didn't do things their way, they walked away. They wanted Jesus as king. They did, but only on their terms. And what I want to ask is I want to ask us a question this morning. It's this. Are we all that different? Are we all that different from these Jews? We love the Jesus who does the things we like. We love the Jesus who provides for us, this loving Jesus. We love the Jesus who saves us from our sin, who makes us clean, who washes us new and gives us a new beginning. We love the Jesus who heals us and heals our broken hearts, right? But we struggle with the Jesus who challenges us. We struggle with the Jesus who asks us to go without for the sake of of another, the Jesus who tells us to pray for those who persecute us, the one who calls our sin out, the one who gets in our grill a little bit and says, that's not right. We don't do that. We don't like that one as much. Even the Jesus who simply doesn't give us what we want when we want it. We don't crucify Jesus, and we don't do that, but we do ignore him, or at least ignore parts of him, we treat it like the fine print. You say, oh, we know it's there. We just don't read it. <laughs> just, uh, we'll just take the good stuff. Let's take the stuff that we like. How do I know this is something we do? Well, I see it happen all the time. We cherry pick what we want, but I can tell you this, I see it in my own life at times. I want him as my king when it's convenient for me. Right? I'm tempted to only take Jesus when it fits my mold, when it fits what I desire, right? But when Jesus is only king on our terms, guess who's really king? 
we are. Some of you tuned in this morning, you are looking for some hope. And I know this, this is a season where we are desperate for hope because we look around at our world and it just seems overwhelming. There's so much pain, there's so many challenges, right? Some of you are, are in fear, you're experiencing deep fear because of what's going on around the world. Some of you are, are experiencing deep loss because of what's going on. We need hope and good news. There is hope for us this morning. So I wanna get to our big so what this morning. We always ask the question, so what? What's the point of this thing? What do, what do I want you to take away this morning? Big so what is this? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He may not have done what the Jews wanted. He may not always do what you want, but he is king. This is what the gospel proclaims. We know this word gospel means the good news. The good news is that Jesus is king and he has established his kingdom here on earth. That we have been invited, you and I, no matter where we're at, we have been invited to join the victorious king who is king over all, to join his kingdom. And that's good news for us because all of us know that, that we need something firm. We need something that is reliable in a world where everything is going crazy right now. We've said this the last few weeks. We need a firm ground to stand on and hear this. Jesus is that firm foundation. He is the king we desperately need. But here is the fine print. Jesus is king on his terms. Jesus is king on his terms. You see, this was the problem with the crowd on Palm Sunday. They wanted Jesus to be their pawn. They wanted him to serve their purposes. But if Jesus is your pawn, then he isn't your king, all right? There is no kingship when that's the case. And I think a lot of us, if we're totally honest, that's where we live in a lot of times. We live in these moments where we say, Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we want you as our king. When it works for us. You know, when it starts to meddle with my life, I don't really wanna, I don't wanna think about you as my king right now. I'd rather do things my way, the way that I want. I know there's that, that area that maybe you've called sin, but I don't really wanna address that right now. No, 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 no. If he's gonna be king, he is king on his terms. He is in control. And that means for us that we have to lay some things down. We have to surrender. You see, the faithfulness, the hope, the joy, the peace, the truth, the life of God is available through Jesus, but only if he's king. The good news is that, that he comes no matter where we're at, and he'll be your king because it's possible right now you're like, yeah, I know you say Jesus could be my king, but I don't know that he even wants to deal with what I've got going on right now. I don't know where you're at in life. You got uck in your life. You got stuff you're like, Egh. There's things you're embarrassed by. Maybe right now you're embarrassed by some decisions that you've made. You're embarrassed by the situation. You're, you're embarrassed by some addictions that you're dealing with right now. But even if not, maybe you're just like, man, everything, I'm on top of the world. Everything is working out in my life. But if I'm really honest, I still don't feel like I have a firm foundation. Guess what? Jesus will meet you wherever you are. I say this all the time. He'll meet you where you are, not where you wish you were. Jesus will meet you right where you are. He desires to be your king, your king, not just a king. He will be your king. But it only happens on his terms. 
There's a passage that we look at on a regular basis around here, and I, and I do it intentionally because I think it is the clearest understanding of what it means to follow Jesus straight from his own lips. And there's a passage in Luke chapter nine, and it simply says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, what does that mean? Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to make me their king, right? That's what it means. We all, we're saying, yeah, we need a king. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must deny themselves. What does that mean? It means that we have to turn away from ourselves. Guess what? We don't get to call the shots. God ceases to be our pawn. We let surrender ourselves to his authority. We deny ourselves. We take up the cross. What does that mean? It means that we die. It's not us anymore. We aren't the one in control. We get off the throne. We die. But it's not just that once in a lifetime kind of thing. It's daily. We die daily. Every morning we get up and we say, Jesus, I am not king. You are. I'm not in control. You are. Sometimes we do that. And we're like, man, it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly what I want. Jesus is doing everything I want. And there's other times where I don't like what's going on. Guess what? Doesn't matter. Jesus, you are king. I deny myself. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, if we want to experience the hope and the life that Jesus has made available to us, and some of you desperately need that, that's where you're at in your life. You need his life. It is available to you, but it's only available on his terms. Jesus is king on his terms. I love a conversation that takes place in John chapter six. Jesus is talking. He's got a big old crowd. He always had a big crowd. And a big crowd following him, you know. But he gets into some of these fine print things. He starts talking about some stuff that people are like, ooh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that stuff right there. And it says in the text that actually people start to leave him and fewer people followed him at that point. And you can imagine the disciples are probably like, hey, Jesus, can we go back to just feeding people and healing people? <laughs> they all, the crowds love that stuff. Do that stuff. And Jesus comes to his disciple, his close 12, and he says, listen, everybody's leaving here. Are you guys gonna leave me too? And I love the response because the response wasn't, no, nah, Jesus, it's cool. We're cool with all the bad stuff. We don't mind the hard stuff, the stuff we don't like, the persecute, all that. We're cool with all that stuff. We don't, no, that's not what they said. The response was like this. Where are we gonna go? God, where are, we, where are we gonna go, Jesus? Where else are we gonna go? Only you have the words of life. And I just say this to you that there is life in the word of God. He is a king that will meet you wherever you are. It doesn't mean that everything always goes the way we want to. It doesn't mean like this crowd that he gives you what you want when you want all the time. But the reality is Jesus is king. 
and he is king on his terms. We don't come to him and say, oh God, be my pawn. I say, God, I am yours. I surrender to you. Unless church, there's some of us that are following Jesus. And if we're totally honest, that's not the attitude we have toward Christ. He is a God of convenience for us, but he is calling us back to himself. He's calling us to turn from an attitude that says, you're here for me to instead say, God, I am here for you. The purpose of my life is to glorify you. That's what repentance is. We know this term, repentance, it's a, it's a turning. It's a turning away from some things, but it is also a turning toward God to say, God, I'm yours. And I feel this in my own heart. There are things I need to lay down. There are areas where I still only serve God when it works for me. And I say, God, I need you. I need to turn. I need to surrender in those areas. And I know you have those areas too. Those parts of your life, those areas of sin, those areas of thoughts, those areas of actions, your words, whatever it is, where you would say, God, I only want you when it's convenient, when it does what I want. I think God is calling us back to himself to say, no, I'm, I'm king. I want to give you something better than you could imagine. But it happens on my terms, not on yours. I'm God, you're not. That's what it means to follow Jesus. There's some of you here this morning, you don't know Christ. You've never surrendered your life to God. Or maybe you've showed up to church before. Or maybe you're just scrolling around online right now. You just happen to stumble across this and, and uh, you decided not to turn it off yet. I wanna talk to you just for a second that Jesus loves you with everything. We know the verse, it's the famous verse, everybody, God so loved the world. What did he do? He didn't stand far off. No, he so loved the world that he leaned in and he engaged and he met a broken people where they were. And hear this, God will meet you right where you are, whatever you are enduring, whatever you are facing, whatever you are feeling, whatever you're feeling, maybe you're feeling embarrassed. Maybe at one point in time you followed Jesus, but you've walked away for years and you feel so far from him and you're just like, I'm not sure that God would take me back. Hear this, he longs for you to come back to him. Would you come? Not come back for him to, to be your genie, but to be your king. To surrender your life to him. And he will give you a new beginning. He will give you a new life. He will meet you right where you are. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you are a good, good father. That you draw near to us, Lord. God, and even when we're sometimes walking away, you're the one that's pursuing us. You're the one that's coming after us, and we thank you for that, Lord. We'd be lost without that, God. God, for, for those of us who would say we are followers of Christ, um, we know that there are areas in our lives where we get off course, Lord. And so, God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal the areas in our life, the things that we're involved in, the things that we think, the things that we're doing, that we're saying that are, that are contrary to your word, that are not showing you that, that you are our king, instead showing that we just like you when it's convenient. God, I pray you would reveal those areas to us. And God, in repentance, we would come back to you, that we would lay down and we would turn toward you. God, guide us back to yourself, Lord. God, we pray that you would forgive us. God, we are weak, we are broken, and we need you, Jesus. We prove it every day how desperately we need a savior. We need you, Jesus.